You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Our sermon series during this season of worship is called Full. And we're asking the question, is there a link between full worship and a full life? And if so, what is that link? What is that link for you? I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. Kind of frame it this way. It's the who question about worship. Not the who is the object of our worship because it's Jesus Christ, the name above all names, but the, the who of the you uh, question. Who did you bring to worship this morning? And I'm not talking about your friend or your neighbor, your family member that you may have brought, if they were nice enough to actually come with you and see what this thing of worship is all about and be a part of our family. But, I, but who did you bring inside of you this morning? That is to say, how do you know yourself this morning? By what name? When you think of yourself, do you think of the you that the Apostle Paul calls in Colossians 3.9, the old self? Or do you think of the you whom the Apostle Paul calls the new self? The one that's being renewed right now as we worship. Because Jesus sees you very differently than you see yourself. And when we worship, we are invited to see in ourselves what Jesus sees in us. So let's look at this text together. We're today in the third chapter of the book of Colossians. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. I'd invite you to open your Bible. Uh, to that, if you're opening the Pew Bible, it's on page 958, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. And since we are in worship and every member is a minister here, would you stand with me and read God's word aloud together as his people? When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. Lord Jesus, as we continue in worship, we invite you to speak. Quiet every voice in us, but that voice that comes from your Holy Spirit. And let him open us up. To hear good news. Amen. 
I had a voice in my head this summer as I was riding my bike down a hill, probably over 30 miles an hour, racing. There was wind, but I heard this voice. And I knew that the voice in my head was wrong. Maybe this has happened to you. I was uh, listening to MapQuest. I had earbuds in my ears, trying to get from an airport to someone's home. And I didn't know how to navigate the city, so I was getting cues from uh, my smartphone. Turn left, turn right. But at some point, I learned... Uh, I, I recognized where I was, and I knew how to get the rest of the way there. In fact, I knew a shortcut. I knew a, a way to get to this home that MapQuest apparently didn't know. And you know that, and I couldn't. It was going so fast, I couldn't take my hands off the handlebars to silence the phone or even to take the earbuds out. So I just kept them in. But I'm riding down this. It's probably a two-mile-long hill, racing down, and I keep hear, hearing this voice. You know, in 500 yards, take the next right-hand turn. And I'm going, no, I'm not going to do that. Take the right-hand turn. Get, take your turn. Yeah, and, <laughs> go, go straight. And then at the next available moment, take a U-turn. And I'm not going to do that. And then another side street would come. At the next 500 yards, take a turn. And I'm going, go straight, go straight. And you know, it was like when you have those earphones in your head, it's almost like the voice comes from inside of your head. You notice that? I mean, where's the sound exactly? It's like right between my eyes. It's my, it almost sounds like my voice. It's my own thoughts. It's my own brain talking to me. And so now I've got this conversation. I'm going, which me is me? There's one me that's saying turn right, and there's another me that's saying go straight. And, you know, I realize if I listen to the wrong voice, I'm not going to get to the home that I'm going to. And the same is true in our lives, isn't it? Is there not a voice in all of our heads, I mean, multiple voices at times, that say, you turn right now, and you know, and you know the right thing to do is to go straight. Maybe there's a voice that says, go, 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 go. And you know what you really need is to stop, is to rest. Sometimes there's a, a, a voice that says, quit, stop, quick, you got to stop. And you know you really need to persevere. Sometimes there's a voice that says, hurt that person. And now, and quickly. And, and yet what you need is to love that person and totally so what do you do with these voices when they sound like your own voice and you're not sure which one really is me? Which one gives me the guidance that I need to get to where I'm going? And in the context of that, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Colossae, here in chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's verse 16. Did you notice that? You read that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, because friends, this morning, there's so many voices in the world, even in our own heads, and yet there is one voice that stands out among them all, one voice that matters, one voice to which you and I must listen. And that's the voice of our Savior, the one who gave his life for you, Jesus Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That phrase, word of Christ, it's, it's a broad expression. What does it mean, the word of Christ? Well, it might be a reference to the word that Jesus Christ spoke when he taught in first century Palestine as he moved from town to town through the streets of Jerusalem. The word of Christ is what he would have spoken. It could have been the word about Christ as generation after generation, followers of Jesus Christ by faith, not because they ever actually heard his voice, but his word was passed along to them came to life and came to follow this beautiful person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it was the, the word about Christ that they would pass along. 
Or thirdly, it might be, it might be simply that this is the word which God has definitively spoken in Jesus Christ. The word that God has spoken about human history and about your life in Jesus Christ. The word of Christ. Maybe it's all of those things. Maybe Paul is being intentionally broad in the way that he phrases this. But whatever it is, it's the one word of God that we must hear in life and in death. It's the one voice. It's the one message that becomes imperative if we're ever going to know who we really are and whose we really are. I want you to hear that this morning. Let the message God has for you in Jesus Christ be the message that dwells, be the message that lives in your life. And this isn't easy. Because there's so many other messages floating around. I mean, how many times you slap your, you give yourself the Presbyterian dope slap, you know, you go, oh, I can't believe I did that, you know. Um, I, I say that all, all the time. I jog sometimes and I'm rehearsing the day before and I go, oh, why did I do that? Um, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe you hear a voice that says, you shouldn't have done that. Or you should be ashamed of yourself. Bad dog. You hear this voice that says, you idiot, I can't believe you did that. Or, I know what you're going to do this time, or it'll never work. These are the voices that we hear. You're not smart enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not healthy enough. You're not, you fill in the blank. But there's someone in your life who's happy to tell you all of those things, and for some reason, you have become their partner. You have owned that message and collaborated with the destructive process that that message is doing inside of you, leading you astray. These messages become the names that we give for ourselves. You researchers tell us that if you say something of a child, it can stick in their life and follow them all of their days. Teacher says, you're really smart, or aren't you pretty, or you are a troublemaker, or whatever it is, that that label can become a name that influences and shapes the destiny of that life. And we all have names for ourselves. What name did you bring into worship this morning? What did you come prepared to call yourself? You're not sharing it with anybody else, but when you look in the mirror, what are you saying? I mean, what happened last night? What happened this week? What phase of life are you in that has informed your sense of who you are or who you must have to be? Because this is just the message that you're hearing. The good news is that in this house, in this house, the only voice that matters is the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Jesus wants to give you a new name. And the Apostle Paul is beginning to sketch an image, a composite picture of what that new name might look like for you. I don't know if you'd use these exact words, but here are three words that the Apostle Paul uses in verse 12. He says, as God's chosen ones, as God's holy ones, as God's beloved ones. See those three things. Chosen. God has chosen you, he writes them. He chose you. I mean, there was... Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Peter. And then there's you. God chose you. 
chosen ones. And holy. Holy. That's the, to have the moral purity of God himself. And there was the burning bush one day that was so holy, so close to God that Moses needed to take off his sandals just to approach. Very nearly would fall down. And then there's you. He says, you are holy. Moral purity of God is in your life. And most of all, beloved. Be beloved means to be cherished. As we said last week, that God delights in you. He loves you. He had a beloved nation, Israel. They were slaves in Egypt and broke God's heart. And he said, you tell the Pharaoh, this nation is my firstborn son. Guy gets pretty jealous about his firstborn son. And then he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to take on your humanity and mine, to die for your sins and mine. And God says, I love that Jesus. And then there's you. You, beloved one. He loves you. See, these are new names. These are the names that we discover when we attend to the word of Christ in this house as we worship together. But the question is, how can Jesus give you a new name? How could that be possible? I know. Nobody loves me. I know. I'm not holy. I know no one would choose me. I'm always the last pick. And Jesus says, I have shared my life with you. In uh, the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 9, we n discover who these readers are. It says... Um, it's actually, it's not verse 9, is it? Uh, those of you who've received uh, Jesus Christ, if you receive Jesus Christ, uh, verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's who he's talking to. Those of you, if you receive Jesus Christ, if you have taken him into your life as your Savior and as your Lord, if you've said yes to him, when he has invited you to come alive in his life, I want to share my life with you. Will you receive that gift? Then if you do, then there is a new you inside of you, this new self. And in chapter 3, this is the subject of chapter 3, this new life, this new identity. In chapter 3, verse 3, he says, If you have received Christ, you have died with Christ, and your life is hidden in Christ. What does that mean? It means your life is hidden. It means that nobody can see the real you. It means that you can't see the real you. It's hidden. Unless you look at Jesus Christ, and there you'll see who you really are. Unless you worship Jesus Christ, there you see what it means to be alive in Christ, to let Jesus live for you, to let Jesus live within you. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory in you, Paul tells the Colossians. See, if you and I want to share hope, which is our mission here at University of Presbyterian, to share hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, we first have to have hope. And I want to suggest to you, you can't be that different than I am. And the hardest place in the world for me to find hope is in myself. If you can't have hope for yourself, you and I will never have hope to share with anybody else. You can't convince your neighbors that you have hope for them if you don't have hope for yourself. And so the Apostle Paul says, it's so important that you know what it means to be alive in Christ, to let Him be your life. Let Him speak a new name into your life. 
So here's the imperative. Let Jesus' word live in your life. Fill the house. Let Jesus' word fill the house. Notice the Apostle Paul uses this house language. He says, let the word of Christ dwell. That means live, take up residence, be alive, dwell in you. That's house language. Eugene Peterson writes uh, this paraphrase of the Bible called the message, and he renders this verse this way. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Let it, the word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it open, free reign. Let it loose. It's house language in your life. But not just in your life as an individual. I begin to notice, the first time I read this in the original language, that all the pronouns are not singulars. It's not just about me. They're plural pronouns. It's about us. This is a corporate reality that the Apostle Paul is addressing. And this verse, verse 16, with the word of Christ dwelling in you richly, is a fascinating verse because it gives us one of the earliest, if not the earliest, description of Christian worship that we have anywhere. Think about that. This is what Christian worship looked like in the lives of the apostles while they were still alive. This is probably eighty sixty. And we're told that when you gather, you ought to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, you ought to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is because this is what they did. And it happened in houses, in homes, just the homes of, of Christians. Opened up their homes for, for their friends and neighbors to come and celebrate Jesus Christ. Paul knows that as this letter is read, it's being read right now in someone's home, in a courtyard or a dining space, bedroom, as the followers of Jesus are listening to us every word. That's why the Apostle Paul models what he's asking them to do. Remember, in chapter 1, he begins with a hymn. He's actually done it himself. He's sung a hymn in this very letter, and he invites them to come and do the same thing, not with him because he's just writing a letter, but with each other. They gather in this house. This house might have been the house of... Epaphras, who founded the church, might have been the house of Philemon, who lives in Colossae. And we know that a, a church gathered in his home every Sunday. The houses are small, the 30 to 50 people, a place where you could know one another and be known by one another. Where when you spoke the good news of Jesus Christ, you spoke it in the context of people you knew and you knew needed to hear. And so when he says, dwell in the house, he means this word must come to life in the context of a living community who lives it out and who shares it with one another through t mutual teaching, mutual admonition, mutual singing. That's why we're doing this reciprocal singing together. He doesn't say, listen to the word. He doesn't say, tune into the word. He doesn't say, podcast the word. He says, let it live. See, we forget. What Jesus calls us to is not primarily to be students, but to be followers. The kingdom of Jesus is not about information. It's about transformation. The gospel doesn't call us to get, acquire knowledge of God, but to acquire the character of God in our lives. Paul says... Our purpose is to present everyone mature in Christ, Colossians 1.28. To get you to where you're supposed to be, the teleos, the end, that's the maturity. Some translations, unfortunately, translate it perfection, but it's maturity. That's the goal. And worship is essential to that process. Because it's only in worship that you can begin to own the names that Jesus has for you. 
Because people around you can help you in a way that you cannot help yourself. As your neighbor teaches or admonishes you or sings the gospel in song, you begin to believe that maybe it applies to you because they know you and they're looking in your face and they've got a smile and they say, you're a part of this too. You're forgiven too. You're loved too. You're holy too. This is full worship. I mean, notice that this is something that everybody can do, but nobody can do it alone. This is the power of worship, the corporate worship. You thought you said, I thought it was the power of the Holy Spirit that changed the life. It is, but notice the parallel in Ephesians 5.18. There's a parallel to this, and it begins with Paul saying, be filled with the Spirit, and then he goes right on to say, uh, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. This is one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life, in worship, in the worship of a community. Engaging one another with the gospel. One another with the gospel. Paul gives us another window in 1 Corinthians 14 into the worship of the early church. And we Presbyterians, by the way, we love 1 Corinthians 14 because this is where it says uh, all things should be done decently and in order. But I think we get the wrong verse. I think the verse that really matters is verse 26. Listen to what Paul says there. He says, when you come together, each one has a hymn a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. He doesn't say, when you folks get together, pay close attention to the preacher. No, he says, when you folks get together, each one of you has something to bring. You don't even know that. You've got something to bring to worship, a story or a song or a smile or a touch or a pat or something that says, hey, there's good news. Bring it and share it with the community. It's all for edification, he says. That's another way. That's household language again. It's all for building up. Build up the house. Build up the house and fill it with the word of Christ as you bring your gifts, as you bring your relationship. As you... It's people texture, as Scott told us. We gather to name and to be renamed in the name of Jesus. We gather to name each other and to be renamed by one another. Some things you can't do for yourself. I told you before, I have a very harsh inner critic that lives in my head. And I, I've come to believe I can't get him out without you. And I, I've come to believe that I can't get him out in a moment like that either. I need a lifetime of, of iteration, hearing my new name in Jesus Christ again and again and again, every week, every Sunday, with your help, your singing, your reading, your prayers, your stories. As Becca, Scott shared with us. These things begin to help me own my own name. One of the most powerful experiences of worship I ever had was in California. I was a college student. I went down to L.A. to do some inner city ministry. Terrified my parents. I was so excited to be part of what Jesus was doing in the world. I went to an intersection, Howard and Navarro. Northwest Pasadena, had the highest homicide rate in the state of California, that intersection. It was where John Perkins had gone to set up um, a home to do economic uh, redevelopment in that neighborhood. And I remember lying on the cement at night and hearing semi-automatic weapons just feet away from my head, uh, waking up in the morning and finding shell casings on the sidewalk. But what impressed me more than anything else was a worship service, as humble as it was, at this intersection, there was a corner store, and above the corner store, there was a little room, and people would cram inside, and you could look around this room, people sitting on the backs of couches, people sitting on the floor, as many people as could fit. 
worshiping, reading the scriptures to one another as though it mattered, praying for one another, singing psalms. This was full worship. You had prostitutes, drug dealers, drug addicts, gang members, people like me in this room worshiping Jesus. And you know, outside of that, this intersection, there's such injustice and violence and darkness. But here's a little community of people who are bringing their story of faith together, imagining another world, that world that Jesus calls the kingdom, breaking into time and space and renaming them, giving them the power and the courage and the resistance to go through that door, into that intersection, into the places of their lives with that new name and to show forth Jesus Christ. That's worship. That's what Jesus does here, too. That's what he's doing with you and, and with me. Augustine lived in the fourth century. And even at that time, the church would gather to sing, to share, to teach. He was known, at, even to himself, as a thief, a drunk, and a philanderer. Party boy. That was his name. And yet, as he came into worship, here's what he began to hear. He says, how much I wept at your hymns and canticles, deeply moved by the voices of your sweetly singing church. Those voices flowed into my ears, and the truth was poured out in my heart, whence a feeling of piety surged up and my tears ran down, and these things were good for me. That's Augustine. And we don't think of him as Thief Augustine anymore, do we? We know him today as Saint Augustine. He's taken on a new name. That's holy, Augustine. It's like you. God has that same name for you too. So, finally, what do we do? How do we engage this? I want to suggest two things. First of all, let Jesus speak a new name in you. If you never let him do it, if you never let him do it before, let him do it this morning. Even if he's done it again and again, let him do it this morning. I pray that as the worship service continues here in a couple of moments, you'll hear another voice in this room and you'll be willing to credit it to the Holy Spirit, that still small voice trying to get your attention and to get you to know yourself truly as you truly are in His grace. He wants to say to you, I chose you, I made you holy, and I love you. Let Jesus speak a new name in you. And then secondly, let Jesus speak a new name through you. If it's good news for you to know that you have a new name, then perhaps one of the greatest things you can do this week is to share that name with somebody else, to give them a new name, to let them know the name that Jesus gives them. And there's this clothing in this passage. We won't take time to look at it, but Apostle Paul says, clothe yourself, put on these clothes like uh, compassion and kindness and humility, meekness, patience, most of all love. Do you know whose clothes those are? Those are Jesus' clothes. Paul says, put that stuff on. You go, oh man, I, I can't put that stuff on. That doesn't sound like me. That sounds like somebody else's clothing. It's like you're asking me to get dressed out of somebody else's closet. And the Apostle Paul goes, yeah, now you get to get dressed out of Jesus' closet because you're alive in Christ. You get to put on these things and they're really yours. You can go out into the world. And, and, and what he's saying is, I have a mission that continues. And while I'm up in heaven, I am not accessible to the people that I want to share hope with. But I have this community called University Presbyterian Church. I have these big groups. I have these small groups. And if they will put on the clothing of Jesus, then people who would never come to a church to hear a sermon like this can begin to know they have a new name also. 
go out and be the, the face, the hands, the arms, the eyes, the heart of Jesus in the world. You can do that today in Larson Hall. The person next to you may need a prayer, may need a smile, may need a touch. But you can do that as you go out. It's so easy. We forget. It's just about listening. You know, if you come alongside, I have a friend whose ministry is in the gym. And, and just giving someone time to share their stories, they'll tell you what their name is. You'll hear things like, I'm in a fraternity house and one of our brothers committed suicide recently. And what I can't stop forgetting is that I was mean to him. I'm such an idiot. And God has you there to say, no, you're not. Or you're going to hear someone say, you know, I'm a mother of a teenager. She's 15 years old and I just found out she's pregnant. I've been a horrible mother. No, you have not. There's a new name for you in Jesus. How desperate people are for affirmation and encouragement. If we'll just spend some time to let someone talk and tell us their story, you're there to offer them an alternative narrative by which they can know themselves. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of Christ. What would this look like at UPC as we think about new ways of gathering together? What would it look like for us to make space for the word of Christ to dwell here? Not just to listen to me, but to teach and admonish one another. To sing songs together with a diversity of worship styles. The Apostle Paul, we don't know exactly what these different psalms and hymns and spiritual songs means, but it's clear he's talking about a range of musical styles. What would it mean for us to create space in big groups where we could know and be known and gather every Sunday before or after worship with one another? What would it be like for us to gather our friends and neighbors into the love of Jesus Christ? Whatever we do, in word or deed, let us do everything in the wonderful, transformational name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, during our time of confession, we had an opportunity to confess the names that you don't own when you look at us. And we pray that you'll help us um, to set them aside, knowing you've nailed them all to the cross. You've buried them in the tomb. And now, as surely as you are resurrected at a newness of life, we have a new self in us. And you're calling us to walk in that newness, alive with you. As we worship in this quiet space, would you speak that new name? It's different for each one of us. What we need to hear today, would you speak it clearly? And let us hold on to it and have the courage of faith to walk out of this place, believing that that is truly who we are. That we might give witness to your love in a needy world. We pray in your name. We pray this to all the world, joins us in singing. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301 extension 117.